Anybody bring a Bible tonight? Awesome, awesome. Let's get them out. Let's get them. If if yours is brand new, go ahead and wear that spine open. (laughs) It's fun breaking in a new Bible, isn't it? Don't you love the smell? You love the feel? Some of you have more notes in your Bible than the Bible has words. And so for you, you say, hey, I do not enjoy getting a new Bible because that that requires me rewriting out all my notes. But um, I've seen some Bibles uh, that are so highlighted that it's almost like, why don't you just use a Sharpie and black out the words you don't like? (laughs) (laughs) Or just order your Bible with yellow pages. But whatever. Thank God. It's, it's, uh, as somebody has, well, many people have said throughout time, if your Bible is falling apart, probably means that you're not. You know, if it's a well-used Bible, that's, that's, that's put to good use. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to continue along the line, um, as we've been preaching on Sundays, about the great move of the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it, as it was demonstrated in the book of Acts, and as it was further taught throughout the epistles and even the book of Revelation. Uh, we're reading through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. We did that a few years ago, and uh, it's been time to bring that back so that we can get it in our hearts and our minds that, that uh, the same spirit that dwelled in the church in the early days is the same spirit that dwells in the church today, and we are not uh, a, a watered-down, wimpy version of what the church used to be. We are his church. We are his bride. And uh, not only is he coming back for that bride, but he has empowered that church to be who they're meant to be, the body of Christ. The Bible says the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is not, is not just meant to be a side project. The church is the fullness of all that he is. And he fills everything, it says. It says the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's an amazing thought. Everything that God wants to do on this planet, he wants to do in cooperation with the church. And most of what he's doing, he's doing exactly through the church. Now, there are times where God shows up and, and, and you know, like in... Uh, for instance, in Saudi Arabia, we've heard stories of people in the middle of the night having a dream where Jesus appears to them and says, I'm the one you're looking for. But for the majority of the time, and that's an awesome thing, the majority of the time, he doesn't use angels to preach the gospel. The majority of the time, he, he doesn't just show up to people and preach the gospel. He has chosen his people, his church, to go and preach the gospel and uh, to demonstrate him in the world. And so that's an honor, and that's something to get excited about. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1. Last week, we talked about uh, uh, that, that moment when Jesus, right before he ascended, the commission that he gives them. Not just a commission. You see, God never gives you a commandment without empowering you to do it. Whenever God gives a commandment, whenever God gives a word to you of this is what you need to do, and it seems beyond yourself, and it seems impossible, then you should rejoice, because every time he speaks to you, with the voice of God is the grace of God. With the voice of God is the power of God. The voice of God, the word of God created the universe. The word of God brought light in a dark, into darkness, into existence. And so if the word of God can create planets, if the word of God can create 
create stars, then the word of God can create in you whatever it is that he has placed in you, whatever he's called you to do. If the Lord says you're supposed to do this, you go do this. Then the moment you hear it, receive it by faith, he has created something in you that wasn't there before. We see that in the Bible. A lame man is listening to the Apostle Paul speak. He's lame. The Apostle Paul is teaching, but the teaching itself does not heal the man. The teaching brings faith to the man so that he may, may be healed. And that faith is ready. And the Apostle Paul stopped preaching because of that man's faith. Because of that man's faith, Paul stops his sermon in the middle. And he looks at him and says, it says, seeing that the man had faith to be healed. You notice he didn't just have general faith, just that God exists. That's the beginning, right? But he didn't just generally believe that, all right, I think you're, what you're saying is true. It says the man had faith to be healed. Because I imagine what Paul is preaching. It says he's preaching Jesus. Yes. Imagine when Paul is preaching Jesus, this man's hearing all these stories about all these people that got healed. And it's very easy for us to listen to all these people get healed and say, those are great stories. It proves to me that God can do it. But this man doesn't just hear God doing it for other people. At a certain point in the message, he says, God can do that for me. At a certain point, because of the preaching of Paul, is exposing not only the power of God, but the nature of God, the character of God, the will of God. The man goes from God can do it for somebody else to God can do it for me to God will do it for me. And seeing that the man had faith to be healed, Paul stops and he says, in the name of Jesus, get up on your feet. And the man leaps to his feet. And what the point that I'm trying to make there is this, and I've made it before, that the word of God, that word from God, created in that man what he hadn't had since he was born. That word of God to him, received by faith, created and, and, and reconstructed muscles that he did not, that, that were ill-formed, that didn't work. If, it had, if he had to recreate bones, he did that. We recreated, I mean, caused circulation to increase. Whatever he did, the word of God put inside that man's body what wasn't there before. So if he can do that physically, don't you think he can do that spiritually, emotionally? Don't you think if the Lord calls you to something that is totally terrifying and you, have not, you don't have the skill for it and you don't have the, 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 um, the nature for it, don't you think the moment that God speaks to you and you say, yes, I believe that, that that thing in you that you didn't have before is there, is created in you because he spoke it. His word is creative. So he speaks to these disciples. He doesn't just say, go and preach to all these people. It says, he says, well, you shall, become, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So he didn't just say you'll be my witnesses. He says you will receive the power to be my witnesses, which backs up what he said earlier, not long earlier, and we call it the Great Commission. But the Great Commission does not start with go ye into all the world. And I, like you, and it's, it's just a habit we all quoted in the King James I don't know if anybody here tonight is reading the King James, and if you are, awesome, but, you know, we somehow just keep quoting it in the King James because that's what we learned when we were a kid. But the Great Commission doesn't start with going to all the world. I find it rude for us to chop up somebody's in, somebody in mid-sentence. You're going to take it out of context. You, when someone doesn't even stop in the middle of the sentence and we start the sentence there, that's a bit rude. Let's, 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 let's hear it as he said it. He said, all authority... In heaven, 
and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Holy and Spirit. So, uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he says that after he's already said, all the authority that heaven has, all the authority that the earth has, has been given to me. And with that authority, I send you. You go. And he reaffirms it here in Acts 1 where he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And with that power, you'll go and you'll be my witnesses. God never calls you to something he is not going to empower you to do. And if God's calling you to something you're already able to do, I would, I would take a moment and check whether you've really grasped the fullness of what God's called you to. You know what I mean? If God has said, this is what you're going to do, and you go, yeah, I already got the skills for that. Maybe you're, you're compressing what God is saying. Maybe you're, maybe you're not realizing how big he wants it to be or how, how, the scope of it. Because if you can already do it, you might just begin, you might be saying, well, I can do that in myself. Well, don't, he doesn't want you to rely on you. He wants you to rely on his power. And if the Lord's not building the house, we're wasting our time. In Acts chapter 1 we're going to go ahead and skip to, because we read the first part of the chapter last week, we're going to skip to verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. These are the uh, 11 apostles and some of the others that were with them. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they'd entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. If you were keeping count, that's the 11 disciples that are left after Judas has gone and hung himself. It says, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers, in other words, Jesus' brothers, which is a dramatic thing. Because if you remember in the Gospels, the last time we saw mention of his brothers, what did we see? Last time we saw them mentioned in the Gospels, there was that great phrase, and his brothers did not believe in him. The next time they're mentioned, they're praying together. What, what happened between then and there? The only record we have in the Bible of what happened between then and now is in 1 Corinthians, where... Paul writes to the church, and he writes for the case for the resurrection. And he says, I'll tell you how I know beyond a shadow of a doubt and how you can know that Jesus was resurrected. He says that he appeared to all of these people. He appeared to these over 100 people. And it says as he, he appeared to them, he appeared to, uh, to the, the women, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the disciples. And it says he appeared to James. James, not not uh, James the disciple, but James the brother of Jesus. What changed his brothers, as far as we can tell, is an encounter with not their brother, not their half-brother, but the risen Savior. Now, was he still their half-brother? In the flesh, he was. And he he'd still hadn't ascended to the Father. He still hadn't taken his seat. He still, it wasn't the, the glorious version of him that, that we would see in the book of Revelation. But what they see is more than just a man. What they see is the Savior that has beaten death, hell, and the grave. And he stands before them alive and well, and they saw him go up into heaven. So that changed their mind about some things, I imagine. 
I don't know if they saw him, but they were around. They were around when he appeared. So let's read what it says after this. So his brothers are there. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. And to them, waiting is not just passively doing stuff until something happens. Just, just go grocery shopping. Uh, let's, let's play some board games or something. We just need to stay here for some reason. We got business to do in Jerusalem. To them, their version of waiting is pray. Is pray. That should be our version of waiting. You know, if, if you don't see what God has promised yet, spend your time praying. This is what they do. They gather together with one mind. Thank God for that. With one mind, they're praying. And it says they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. And in verse 15, it says, at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. It says in brackets here, Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. Thank you, Dr. Luke, for all that information. <laughs> this makes a great kid's story. <laughs> it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem. So that in their own language, that field was called Hakadelma, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. And let another man take his office. Now that last sentence is about to change everything. You know what I love about this early church? Something has changed with them. Even, even before they've received the Holy Spirit. It will be enhanced once they receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will lead them and guide them in all truth, will reveal some things they don't know. But even now, as they're walking it out, do you remember how many times Jesus said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, and they didn't catch it? How many times he told them what was going to happen and it just whizzed over their heads? But now they're looking at the scriptures and saying, wait a second, this is about us. Wait a second, these prophets, they're talking about us. And it changes everything. They go from being passive, just saying, well, this stuff, that's supposed to happen, it'll happen. They go from that to saying, the word of God says this. Maybe we ought to do something about it. Do you love when Daniel, I'm going to go off a little tiny rabbit trail, bunny trail. When Daniel has that great vision from God that took him 21 days to find the answer to? Do you know what led up to that? The Bible says he was looking at the old prophecies. And it said, after this many years in Babylon, this is what's going to happen. He looks at his calendar, he looks at his watch and goes, it's about that time. Instead of just saying, well, we'll see what happens. He goes to the river and he prays. And he prays and he prays and he prays until God gives him a vision. And he doesn't run home saying, finally, I got the vision. He stays there and says, God, if you're going to give me the vision, you better give me the interpretation. And for 21 days, that man stayed there until he got the interpretation from God for this vision, which not only stretched to his lifetime, but stretched all the way through 
through the time when Jesus would come and to, to the time when Jesus would return again. That vision that God gave that man stretched to the end of the world. And it all came from him reading the prophets and saying, it's about that time. There is something wonderful about us reading the Bible and seeing ourselves there. I'm not talking about taking it out of context and saying maybe I'm the Messiah. <laughs> I'm not talking about taking it out of context and saying maybe I'm John the Baptist. I'm talking about looking at what the Word of God says about us and saying that's not just a prophet railing again. That is a word for me for today. And if I don't understand how it applies to me, I'm going to seek the Lord until I know. That's waiting according to the Bible. Waiting according to the Bible is not keeping yourself distracted until something happens. Let's just go play the we for a while until God does something. Waiting means pressing in, getting his vision, getting his plan, finding out what the Lord says about us in this generation. So when we read the prophet Joel and we read about the days when the Lord is pouring out his spirit on all mankind, we should identify with Peter who says, that's today. And we know it's still today because Peter, when he says it, says this is the day that Joel is talking about. But Joel says that all your sons, your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and all of these things will happen until the great and notable day of the Lord. So we know we fit into that because the great and notable day of the Lord has not yet come. So we're still in the day Peter announced. It's not just Peter that stands in the day. It's not just the early church. It's us. When it talks about the former and the latter rain coming together, he's talking about us. And the Bible says that when, when these prophets prophesied, it says they, they made careful searches and inquiries trying to find out who they were talking about. It says they looked and they said, what in the, I want to be part of this. Can you imagine prophesying and the minute it comes out of your mouth and you hear it or maybe you didn't really, maybe you're sort of kind of out of it and you say it and somebody tells you, do you know what you just said? And then hearing it and going, oh, please be talking about my generation. And searching, going, who are we talking about? Can you imagine Isaiah prophesying about Jesus? About this great redeemer which is coming from Zion? About this man who would bear the sins of the world and saying, who are we talking about? It says they made careful searches and inquiries. It says, but it's been revealed to us in these days that they were prophesying for our sake. And we now have stepped in, the scripture goes on to say, into things in which angels long to look. It says they were prophesying for our sake. These men see themselves in the book. And Peter has the guts, the faith, the ambition, spiritual ambition to stand up and say, this is talking about us. Do you realize, guys, that God prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened that Judas would betray Jesus? But Peter keeps reading, and he understands that the Lord didn't just say that Judas would do that. He said another man will take his place. So while we might say, okay, God, when that happens, you let me know. Peter says, we should do something about that. And he has the mind of the Lord when he does it. Here's what they do. It says this, therefore, verse 21, it is necessary 
that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, that's a good name, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you've chosen to occupy the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11, disciples, the 11 apostles. Now, here's an important thing. They did, according to the best of their ability, they narrowed the field down to two candidates. Now, why did they draw lots? That sounds like, I mean, that sounds like just gambling with it, doesn't it? Until you understand, it, lots in the Old Testament was a God-ordained way to discern the will of the Father. It was a God-ordained way to discern the will of God. He taught the high priest to cast lots, and this is how you'll know which way God is going. It says in the book of, uh, uh, I believe it's Psalms, it says that, that man casts lots, but it is God who decides the outcome. This does not mean that, that uh, well, you know what, we, we, we just roll the dice and God tells us how it's going to turn out. I know that's how the New Living Translation reads it, and, and I think that's no offense to the New Living Translation or to those who read it, but I think that's a terrible translation of it. Because we're not talking about just dice, we're talking about lots, which was one way, and it was unique in the way that God told them, this is, I'll, I'll let you know my will through this. Now, this is an important point. This is the last time you see this in the Bible. Can anybody tell me why it might be the last time? Because the Holy Spirit's about to fill them. And they no longer are going to have to rely on lots to find out the will of God because the Spirit of God is going to dwell in them. And according to 1 Corinthians 2, that Spirit not only knows the will of God, but reveals the will of God to us. So this is the last time they're going to cast lots. How many times do we cast lots? Just say, well, let's throw it up in the air and see what happens. Whatever happens must be God's will. I know you think that's a noble thought, but the Lord has called us to be people led by the Spirit of God. Following the Word of God and led by the Spirit of God, and they go hand in hand. We are not called to just see what happens, que sera, sera. We are called to hear and to obey. Jesus said that following the Holy Spirit will be just like following me. You, he says the Spirit who's going to come to you and fill you, you already know him because he's been with you. And as you follow Jesus, so you will follow the Holy Spirit. He says he will lead you and guide you into all truth. And he will speak nothing of his own initiative, but whatever he hears from us, he will disclose to you. So as they do this, I want you to see what happens. Two guys. Two guys are equally qualified. How do we pick between these two guys? They cast lots to find out God's choice for the position. You know, when God picked somebody, he wasn't saying, I like this guy better than the other guy. Because we are all uniquely placed in the body of Christ. The scripture says that he chooses each individual body part. It says he places them where he desires. Not where you desire. Not where your parents desire. 
not even where your pastor desires. He places you where he desires. Your, how you know where I'm supposed to be in the body of Christ is entirely based on what the Lord says. And you've got to seek him. You've got to inquire of him. You don't get to pick it. He picks it. That's not based on your, uh, your necessarily just your skills or your personality. Because you know in him, you are more than you are without him. You're more than you are in the flesh. You don't walk in the flesh. You walk by the spirit of God. So in him, you may be something that you are totally not on your own. In fact, God likes to use those kind of people. If God were to use you based on your previous skill set, why do you think he'd say in 1 Corinthians 1 that he didn't pick the smart guys, he didn't pick the strong guys, he didn't pick the noble guys, he picked those that were foolish to prove to the world that he was doing it. So if he's going to do that, some of you are real excited about that. Thank God. I am too. I'm not as bold as the Apostle Paul that just comes out and says it to the church. You guys aren't very smart. You're not very strong. But I am thankful that he chose the foolish to prove his clout to the world and to prove that it wasn't us, but it was him. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen, clay, plain old clay pots to show that this power is not from us, but it is of God. Two. Equally qualified candidates. One who's supposed to be in that place. Here's something else. This all has to happen before the Holy Spirit comes. The circle has to be filled. Now, there had to be 12 apostles. Why? Because Jesus picked 12 apostles. He didn't pick 12 apostles because he just, just found the right guys at the right time. He picked 12 apostles because historically, scripturally, 12 in the Bible was always the number of perfect government. There were 12 tribes. There were 12 apostles. 12,000 men and women from each of the 12 tribes will be the end times witnesses. So, I mean, if you dig further, you'll see it over and over again. 12 was a number of God's perfect government. You even see it, you see it in, the, in, the, in the temple. You see it in, in Solomon's uh, administrators. You see this, that God laid it out, that 12 was the right number for the right time. And they realize that as powerful as they are, as wonderful as they think they are, what God has planned to do, he has said for centuries that another man's got to take Judas's place so that we will have a, the complete group in order that the Spirit could come. Have you ever considered that your part in the body of Christ, as insignificant as it may seem, did you know this is the last time, as far as I can recall, this is the last time we see Matthew's names ever mentioned in the Bible? Doesn't mean he didn't do anything cool. I mean, he didn't do anything great. But we could make the case and the argument that the church could have got along without him. But that's not what God said. Sometimes you think your role is so insignificant, nobody will notice if I'm not there. Nobody will notice if I'm gone. Who am I? They don't need me for the service. They don't need me to go preach the gospel out there. There's lots of, look at, look at this. Look at, we got Josh, we got Tony. Those guys will take the oil field for Jesus. Okay, so we got Eric and Rhonda. They're going to take 4-H. I mean, you're going to have to have more kids. Maybe your grandkids will do it. 
They're going to take the cattle world by storm. Okay, we got Spirantina. They are, they've, got, they've got a little mission field that they call a restaurant. And, you know, we've got this. I mean, and, and I could go on and on. Please don't feel insulted if I didn't mention you in your occupation because we could be here all night. But, you know, the church will be fine. Nobody will notice. But what if, what if God, and I say this with a little tongue in cheek, what if God picked the body parts because that's the way he wanted it to be? And when he placed you in the body, he knew what he was doing. And while nobody may comment on your part as much as they comment on another part, your part is vital to the body of Christ. And Matthias had to be put in that place before the Holy Spirit would accomplish what had been promised. Now, was the Holy Spirit waiting on them? No, there was a, there was a set time when the Holy Spirit would come. But in order for that to happen, they had to obey the word of the Lord based on prophecies that were hundreds and hundreds of years old. Peter had to dust off this dusty old prophecy and say, it's about us. Let's do it. They replace Judas with Matthias. And you know, here's the thing. Sometimes it's so tempting for us to just find the most qualified guy to fill the role. But it is not us who get to pick. It's God. Matthias is just as Matthias is qualified. Yes, he is. He's not any more qualified. He's not any more able. He's not any more, um, you know, uh, anointed. Any more, uh, you know, spiritual than Joseph. The men are both qualified, but God has got a specific man for that role. You know, Joey, the guy that got left out. Um, I trust that he took that with good grace. And he moved on, and I'm sure that guy found his place in the body of Christ. We've got to learn to honor the grace of God on one another. And when I'm talking about the grace of God, I'm not talking about the grace that got you saved. It's the same grace, but I'm talking about the working of grace, which, which is when God calls you to do something, there's a grace on your life to do that, okay? There's a grace on my life to pastor. That grace is not greater than the grace on your life. It's just different than your grace. Or maybe there's somebody in the room tonight who's got a grace on their life to pastor, and you just haven't stepped into it yet. But either way, we have to learn to honor. It's the same spirit of God. It's the same grace of God. It's working in a different way. So my role is not more is 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 not somehow more more anointed, more God ordained than the guy who's working the door as an usher, or the person that's going out and and administrating, or the person that's encouraging. These are all gifts in the body of Christ, and we honor them as gifts. In fact, the Bible says it says in Philippians talks about those guys whose job it is just to you know these guys are just serving. They're taking care of people. They're not speaking. They're not in front of a lot of people. But they're 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 carrying the weight of a lot of things. And it says when, he, when they come home, Paul talks about Epaphroditus. He says, when he comes back, I want you to smother this guy with honor. I want you to esteem him very highly because he took care of me when I needed it. Yeah. Well, what old Epaphroditus, all he did was help you out. He didn't go preach anywhere. Didn't have a great prophecy. Didn't have any musical gifts. But he served at the, in the place that God sent him to serve to the man God sent him to serve. And because of that, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Treat him with great honor. Thank God. You are part of the circle. You're part of the body. And the Bible says that the body grows because of the work. It functions. It operates by the proper working of each individual part. Proper 
working. Right? <laughs> There's a key. Two keys there. Two important words, proper and working. Right? We don't need any lame body parts that just say, I'm doing my part just by being here. Showing up is the first step. Thank God for showing up. But also find where God has placed you and begin, as the Bible says, and we've referred to this many times, but Peter writes, as God has given each one of us a unique gift, employ it, put it to work in serving one another. If you think you've got a gift from God, but you can't imagine any way that that's going to serve the body of Christ, you've misinterpreted your gift. If when you have dreams of what God has called you to do, and in your dreams people are cheering and throwing you flowers and, and calling you wonderful, and in your dream you're saying, I'm going to be a player in the body of Christ. I'm going to be a big shot. They're going to say my name. I'm going to be on the cover of the magazines then you've missed your gift. Because according to the New Testament, the gifts are not to the, not, you know, when you don't say God gave me a gift, even though you could say that. In fact, it says the gifts were given to the church. So if you have a gift from the Lord, it is not a gift for you. It's a gift for the church and for the kingdom of God. And that is an awesome thing. So, so as much as you think, well, you know, the, you know, what about the scripture where your gift will make room for you and put you in the presence of great men? Now, first of all, that is, if you read it in the original text, it's talking about taking a gift when you're going to see the king. You don't come empty-handed. You, you don't be rude and don't bring something. But yes, your gift will make room for you, but really it's God that makes room for you. He doesn't make room for you so that you can say, I met with the king. Makes room for you so that his purposes and his plans will be accomplished on this planet using you. And that is awesome. Let nobody in the room say, I'm not valuable. Matthias is not asked to speak on the day of Pentecost, although he stands there with the rest of the 11, the rest of the 12. Matthias does not show up making any great plays and moves in the rest of the book of Acts. But I know he did his part, not just by being there. I'm sure he did the work of the apostle. And just because he doesn't get name-checked later on doesn't mean he didn't do anything great. We have to know that my part in the body has been ordained by God. He places me where he wants me to be. There are two things I take from this, and we've mentioned them both, but just to summarize, the first thing is, the scripture is speaking about you. That is so important. The scripture is not a record of all the things God used to do. The scripture is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And so the scripture is not a history book, although it is historically accurate. It is a living word. And those prophecies that we see from ancient days, they're not just there to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, although they do it. They're not just there to prove that the church was on the right track, although they do that. Those prophecies, so many of them, pertain to us today. And we must see ourselves in the word of God. Not 
picking and choosing what we want to apply to ourselves, but rightly dividing the word of truth and saying, I'm in this book. I want to be careful how you do that because I've heard people do that and they, they get some wacky ideas. I'm supposed to go to the belly of the whale based on what? Some people quote a scripture no matter where it came from and say it came from God. But I don't quote Goliath of Gath and say that's a word for me. If I, wanted to be, if I wanted to be unkind tonight, I might bring out some of your favorite scriptures that actually came from Job's friends that, that God says don't listen to them. I'm not going to name which ones they are, but I've heard them quoted around our circles before. And they didn't, not none of you. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say them. I'm going to send you on a treasure hunt to find them. But let me give you a hint. When someone says something and God says, don't listen to a word they say, that's not the verse to put on your refrigerator. <laughs> that's a word for me. Praise the Lord. Might I say when Job is confronted by God and he puts his hand over his mouth, good move, Job. And says, I've spoken of things I don't understand. That what he said before that should not be the cornerstone of church doctrine. Yes, right. It should not be included in our worship songs. Right. Treasure hunt that one too. <laughs> All right. Here's the point. You're in the word. That is not a license for you to apply whatever you feel like you should apply. It is an imperative that we seek the Lord. And by the Spirit of God, truth will be revealed through His Word that pertains to your life today. And you do not view the Word as a history book. You view it as something that is alive. It's active. It's able to breathe life into you. It's able to define you. And it's able to give you instruction. The Bible says that His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. What I see when I hear that is a lamp to my feet is where I am right now. But a light to my path is where I'm heading. So I need to know where I am right now. But I also need to look ahead and see where God is pointing me. And the second thing I want you to walk away from tonight with is this. That you are essential to the body of Christ. If you weren't then why in the world does he say he called you and he knew you before the foundation of the world? He saw you. He has placed you in the body. He has put you there. And there is not, I mean, guys, you know this. But his body is not like our body. We can get our tonsils removed and still survive. Now, the body of Christ will survive even when people quit, even when people fall away. But I want you to know your part in the body, there are no useless parts. There are no, there's nobody here that's expendable. You're vital. Do you know what vital means? It comes from the Latin word for life. Your part is life. Your part is important. It's essential. I want you to know that every time the enemy lies to you and says, no one will notice if you're not there. Why don't you let somebody else run with that? You don't need to do it. You're not prepared for it. We're not stepping into something that God didn't call us to. Apostle Paul said, I don't run outside my sphere. I don't run outside my lane. You don't try to do what God didn't call you to do. But what he did call you to do, don't ever say, well, I'm not that important. No one will notice. It's a lie that you hear over and over again. Who cares if I'm gone? Church will be fine. Nobody even notice I'm gone. 
Then after a while, and I'm not just talking about coming to church, I'm talking about being the church. You know what I mean? Coming to church is not being the church. Coming to church is part of the spiritual imperative to gather together, to worship together. But being the church is just as much about spreading the light of Jesus outside these walls as it is worshiping Jesus inside of them. So here's the deal. Pretty soon, the lie switches from no one will notice if I'm gone to too many people will notice if I show up. And they'll judge me when I come in. They'll look at me weird. And they'll, they'll, they'll judge me and condemn me as I come in. You know what? I've never seen that happen. I've heard the lie a million times. I've never seen it happen. You know what I see? I see people hugged. I see people excited. Do you think I've ever looked out at somebody who hasn't been in church in a while and gone, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Thought I was preaching to the good people, the A-team. Jesus says when one sinner comes to repentance, the angels in heaven rejoice. Said he'd leave the 99 to go after the one. Don't you think that we can rejoice in the same way? Don't you, haven't you noticed that we do? Somebody's been gone for a long time. You don't go, where have you been? You say, thank God you're home. Welcome back. Where'd we leave off? Thank God. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy anymore. If anything... Listen to what God says about you because you are in the book. And just as Jesus showed us in Luke chapter 4, he opened the book to the place where it said of him, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Just as Jesus did that, just as Peter did that, just as Paul later did the same thing and says that from the prophets of old said, you'll speak to the Jews and then you'll turn to the Gentiles. He says it about you. You're in the book. Step up. Wait on the Lord. If it's time to wait, get on your knees and pray and find out the will of God. Inquire of him. Acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. Praise the Lord. Let's stand up together and worship God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the great body of Christ where no one is meant to be out of place. No one is expendable. No one is disposable. And you have placed us in the body as you have desired. Lord, we submit our wills to you. We say, as much as we've had our own dreams and ambitions, we seek your ambition. We seek your vision. Would you impart that vision to us? Would you make it clear where we fit? Make it clear where we fit. And there, I know there's plenty here tonight. You say, that's, that's where I'm at. I don't know where I fit. I don't know where I... I and you, you know, you might be waiting for somebody to tell you. And sometimes it works that way. But I, I want you to know, you don't need to be passive about this. You need to seek the Lord. And you don't need to rush it either. You know what I mean? They understood that there was a time... For Matthias to come into line. They understood there was a time for the Holy Spirit to come. So when I say don't be passive. Doesn't mean you need to rush what God's doing either. You might be in a time of training or preparation. But training ultimately requires in some way. 
training you in the gift that God's given you. Training does not mean just waiting, sitting in the chair and hoping somebody calls your name. If you are called to preach the gospel, start with the two people that will listen to you. If you're called to play music, take some lessons. Get an instrument. If you're called to, if you say, I am, I've got a gift to encourage the body of Christ, I've got a gift to lift people up whose hands are hanging down, start doing it. Could I train you to be a great hockey player? First of all, you say, no, you probably couldn't. But what if I could? <laughs> train you to be a great hockey player without letting you ever touch the ice. It would only go so far. Theory only goes so far in training. You can read a lot of books, but that only goes so far. Training ultimately means put your, put your boots on the ground and walk out what God's done. You don't need to push yourself into positions. Peter says to the young men, he says, young men, don't rush what God's doing. He says, young men, humble yourself into the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in the right time. In the right time, in due time, he'll put you where you need to be. Amen. Lord, we just thank you. I'm going to pray for those right now where you're standing. Those of you that are seeking God for your place. You know who you are. My prayer for you is that in the name of Jesus, your eyes would be opened. The eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That you would not only get a grasp of who he is, but you'd get a grasp of who you are in him. And that you would find your place in the great body of Christ. And that you would cease to look inward and look toward yourself to define who you are. And you would begin to look upward to say, who am I? You would begin to look at Jesus, who is the beginner, the author, and the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. And you would say, I'm not enough, but he is more than enough. I am ill-qualified, but he is super-qualified. If I can't do it, he'll do it through me. For he has chosen the foolish. He's chosen the not so wise. He's chosen the not so noble. He's chosen the not so mighty. And he's made them wise. And he's made them mighty. And he's made them those that will confound what the world calls as wise. And those that are rejected by the world. Those that have been discounted and, 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 and said they're nothing and you don't count. The Lord has placed great value on you. Pick up, pick up your shield, pick up your sword, pick up your assignment, and run. Lord, reveal it to them. Open their eyes, open their ears, open their heart, that they would see and they would run. And the titles will come often later. Do not seek the titles or the praise of men. Seek the approval of God. Seek the will of God. Seek the divine plan of God for your life. There are those of you that the Lord would say to get up out of your seat. And I don't mean right now. But get out of your seat metaphorically. And begin to walk out what you've been dreaming of. If the Lord's placed it in your heart then there is a time and a place for it to come to fruition. And if it's not yet ready, 
to be full, you understand that there are different phases of growth. I think some of us have seen, we've seen in, your, in, in the times that you've dreamt, the times that you've had the visions from God, you've seen the fulfillment of the fruit. You've seen it when it's at its fullest. You've seen it when it's ripe. But you know something doesn't go from nothing to full. There are stages in between. Some of you are passing up opportunities from God because it's not the fullness of what you've seen. But start with the seed. Start where you are. Put roots down. Roots are the things that no one else sees. The roots are the things that no one else pays attention to. You will not get applause for roots. But roots are the things that will sustain you, anchor you, and hold you as you grow. You cannot be a big tree without big roots. So put your roots down where the Lord calls you. Bloom where you're planted. Get excited. And don't say, I'm waiting for, for what it looked like in my dream. You step out and go right now where you are. And when the time comes, it'll come to fruition. If you've begun the work, if he's begun the work, he is faithful to finish the work. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we receive it by faith. Thank you, Lord, for your light, for your truth. They are always, always consistent, and our answer is always amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. We love you. We're thankful that you're there. God bless you.